Time out for many men of medicine usually means just long enough to enjoy a cigarette. And because they know what a pleasure it is to smoke a mild, good-tasting cigarette, they're particular about the brand they choose. In a repeated national survey, doctors in all branches of medicine, doctors in all parts of the country were asked, what cigarette do you smoke, doctor? Once again, the brand named most was Camel. Yes, according to this repeated nationwide survey, more doctors smoke camels than any other cigarette. Broadcasting from Brisbane, Australia, this is the FOMO Show. I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And this is a fortnightly podcast where we talk about the exciting ideas changing the world today and what might change the world tomorrow. We'll help you stay across what's going on so you don't get the fear of missing out. You can find us at FOMO.show or by searching for The FOMO Show on your platform of choice. Everything in this show is in the show notes. You can find links to the stuff we're talking about and timestamps to the relevant parts so you can always skip ahead or find it later. This episode, we're going to be talking about a crypto bank that's just floated on New York Stock Exchange, as well as China's rollout of a uh, insurance blockchain. Uh, we're also going to be covering Uber's move into financial services and Samsung's mobile compatible decentralized application. So lots to look forward to. Let's jump into it. Just a quick bit of disclosure, this podcast is not investment or any other type of advice. We're not saying you should buy anything at all. So full disclosure, we're both personally invested in different shares, funds, and cryptocurrencies, some of which we talk about on the show. But if we talk about an investment product, it doesn't mean you should buy it. So do your research on Bitcoin. Never invest more in Bitcoin than you can afford to lose. And uh, avoid the fear of missing out. So what have you been up to the last couple of weeks, mate? Mate, I've just been slaving away at work. You know, we've uh, I say slaving away. I freaking love my job. So yeah, just been... Doing a bunch of stuff, making memes, photoshopping things, um, getting great at making soup, actually. I made this um, cauliflower and blue cheese soup, which is insanely good because I fractured my jaw the other week and uh, getting real talented at making soup, if I can say so myself. Cauliflower and blue cheese. Oh, mate. It's the most delicious soup I've ever made. You basically, a bit of leeks, a bit of butter, you fry those up and you just chuck it in cauliflower and vegetable stock. Do that up, um, blend that all down, and then just fold blue cheese in at the end. And it's, oh. honest to goodness, one of the most delicious things you'll ever have. Oh, somewhere in there is garlic, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> Need oh, I say makes more? everything better. Yeah. <laughs> this is a PG uh-huh. show, and I think we've gone too far. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about you, mate? What have you been up to? Uh, well, so the last couple of weeks was the first time where I really, like, I really had a little bit of a break in work. I feel like I've just been like crazy busy for six months. I'm still wow. busy, but yeah. like I kind of had a little bit of a, uh, like a, s- some breathing room for the first time in a long time. Oh. So I've been generating some content. Um, I, like I've got videos that are perpetually on the way and never really seem to get finished. Um, yeah. I bought a lavalier mic. So, Ooh, you know, like a lapel that? mic. One of the oh, ones that cool. you, yeah, yeah. So, um, I've actually bought two. The first one I bought, I bought off eBay, trying to be cheap, and it was dead on arrival. Um, oh. Didn't work at all. <laughs> just, it just oh. didn't R. work. R. So, shouldn't worst nine dollars I've ever spent. Um, 
And so I bought an Audio Technica one after that. I was like, okay, it's time to. So we've got Audio Technica uh, mics, which we use for the podcast. And now I've got a Audio Technica lapel mic as well. So, nice, nice. Um, yeah, and I've been actually been getting into the into the crazy world of LinkedIn automation too. There's just some there's some really cool productivity tools now for um, people like me that use LinkedIn a whole lot in their business. So that's been interesting as well. Did you say LinkedIn? Yeah, mate. I've been sitting like no joke. Now, obviously, it's because I'm a connection with you on LinkedIn, but I've been seeing you everywhere recently. Like you, I you you put out an article the other day. Uh, and I'm trying to find it, but uh, it was I think future, future of data privacy was it that yeah, one? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. yeah, you've been just smashing articles recently. Like, what's going <laughs> on? What's your secret with your LinkedIn stuff? Because a few people here do businessy stuff. So yeah. tell us a bit. What have you learned? What are the key takeaways for us? Yeah, so I've read a couple of books. First of all, um, so I want to kind of give credit to the people who've taught me, I guess, like my senseis. Mm. A couple of books are The Link- LinkedIn Riches by John Nemo and The LinkedIn Playbook by Alan Houlihan. So they're kind of the two I've been um, using. I'm still kind of working through them. Uh, they, they they just give you a bunch of tips on how to, first of all, like just get your own house in order, like manage your, like get your profile to a sta- stage where people can work out what you do, mm. what your services are, et cetera, et cetera. And then about how to strategically connect with people um, wow. and you know how to build up your network and, and provide value and I guess like the biggest thing for me is like LinkedIn is a social media network where people go on to expect to find work related things like professional related things and it's also um, probably the platform where you can still be heard on a lot like the algorithms are still really generous with the amount of screen time your content's given. Yeah. Um, even if you like or comment on something, it'll generally pop up on a lot of people's feeds. Mm-hmm. Um, and people are just, I think people there expect to converse with other professionals as well. So um, for me, it's just like a really good area where I can just give some value, um, uh, I guess, demonstrate some of my expertise as well. But, you know, if, if, if it, for me, like it's it means that if I generate some content, if I put together something useful, it lets me share that so widely, like, I, I, you know, the day that I share it. So it's not like a, where you put a blog up on a website and people got to wait for ages. Um, it's nowhere near as much maintenance as a LinkedIn, so as, as an email campaign. Mm, mm. Um, so it's, I think you just, you still have a lot of airtime on LinkedIn, which I just don't think you get in on other so- social networks anymore. Mm. Um, and yeah, so I've just, it's, it's basically the only social network I really participate in much at all now and um, it also lets me meet prospective clients which is yeah. awesome um, yeah because I've been seeing your stuff all around on LinkedIn and um, yeah one thing I've learned with LinkedIn because I that's that's the only um, platform we use as a business because um, yeah. that's just how you can make you know get in front of your audience but one little trick that I've found which is really cool on LinkedIn is if you make a, a PowerPoint presentation or you, know, you just make it in your PowerPoint you know, editor, your slide editor, you just, you know, put a few words on each slide and some imagery, just make it really big so somebody could see that on a really small size. Mm. You upload that to LinkedIn as a file and then it, people can just swipe through it on their mobile phone. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I've seen people put decks up like that. Yeah. It's awesome. And it's it's so easy to make. All you need to do is just make some slides, which you could actually, like if you imagined it was just like a one-inch wide thing, Mm. So I actually zoom out of PowerPoint massively to design those. Yeah. But yeah, that, that we get like really good engagement on that stuff. So yeah, worth checking out if you're a 
a marketer of some sort. Yeah, or like if just if you if you're looking to build your business, I guess. Like I just feel like LinkedIn is where you get the most bandwidth and mm. uh, the most bang for your buck. So mm. yeah, like and reach out on Telegram too if you have any questions. More than happy to happy to help. I'm still learning a lot. So. Mm. And and well, and we've got the links to those books you mentioned in the show notes. Now, yeah, I should probably say that we're more of a future tech podcast and not a marketing podcast. But man, that was exciting. I enjoyed that. Um, but let's jump into the next bit: privacy tools and blockchain basics. Are you certain you're private and safe online? Check out our new resource at fomo.show forward slash privacy. It's a great repository of our favorite tools to understand and improve your online security. And if you're new to cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, blockchain tech, all that kind of stuff, you can check out our Blockchain Basics series, which covers the fundamentals. Um, it starts from episode two and continues until episode eight. Um, and look, it will also give you a really good insight into where we came from as a podcast. So wow, please yeah, that's true. do not judge. Um, just, you know, listen to one and skip ahead to the the uh, Blockchain Basics segment every time and yeah. have a good time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but no, I I found it so even back then, just like talking through how smart contracts work. So, mm. yeah. Anyway, let's jump into the news. Silvergate have popped six percent in their New York Stock Exchange debut. Yeah, so Silvergate are a cryptocurrency bank, and they've listed their shares on the New York Stock Exchange on Thursday last week, um, and they priced at a dollar below the expected range of twelve dollars. Yeah, so as part of the IPO, the firm raised $40 million by offering 3,333,333 shares. Uh, and yeah, with the offer price of $12, their market cap was around $229 million. Yeah, so they'd pl- plan to raise $52 million through the sale of 3.7 million shares, according to their earlier filing. And the shares are listed on uh, the New York Stock Exchange under the ticket symbol SI. So actually, it's... Really short symbol there. They did well. But look, they're based in California and they're known as one of the few crypto-friendly banks. Yeah, so according to the filing, the firm currently serves 756 digital currency-related firms as of June 2019. Um, And yeah, to date, it has total deposits of $1.8 billion and total assets of $2.1 billion per the company statement. There you go. So... Look, I, look, I think we, this is going to be a continuing trend as well. I think you're going to start seeing the really savvy smart banks jumping on the the Bitcoin slash crypto bandwagon, you know, like the, the, because there definitely is scope for good custodial services. I mean, we covered BlockFi last episode and yeah. and they're doing a similar thing, you know. So it's it's uh it's it's something that I think we're going to see more and more of as the uh, the Bitcoin ecosystem matures. Yeah, I mean, yeah, just just seeing their their site, you know, they they're saying this is the banking platform for innovators. Their their main uh customers they're saying are, you know, digital currency exchanges, institutional investors, software developers and fintech and payments. So they're really not trying to get, you know, the average mum and dad um, you know, investor, I guess, but yeah, you're right. It's storing crypto assets is good business. So, yeah. yeah. Good on them. Good on them. Mm. Joe, here's one for you. So oh, yeah. our, our Royal Highness, Her Majesty the Queen, has she's you know, she's finally she's finally put out her opinion on crypto and she says that it's not a currency. Yeah, so um taking a break from uh, modeling for stamps and sitting on, 
you know, uh, the back of coins and notes. Uh, yeah, the United Kingdom's busy job. It's, it's <laughs> and uh, largely, largely um, unthanked. Absolutely, but um, yeah. fortunately, she makes some money from the tax. So uh, yes, the United Kingdom's Tax Payments and Customs Authority. Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs, they've updated their crypto uh, taxation policy paper for businesses and individuals. Now, um, their approach in this policy paper is, in their words, conservative, and it stands in line with other countries' tax treatment for cryptocurrencies. Now, the HMRC has explicitly stated that it does not consider cryptocurrency as a currency, and the policy paper uses the term crypto assets and not cryptocurrency. Now, the paper on individuals considers crypto activity as a personal investment subject to capital gains tax that should be paid when crypto is sold for fiat. Using crypto to pay for goods or services, gifting crypto, um, and unlike the position of the French tax authority, exchanging crypto for crypto. So they've, they've thrown a pretty broad net there as to what's applicable for capital gains. And I find it interesting they call it crypto assets as opposed to currency. They're saying this is not money. This is... Mm. A th- something digital, and we're going yeah. to call it crypto assets. Yeah, you can use it to pay for goods and services. But it's an, a crypto asset. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is this is a real tough issue for them, and I was thinking more about this before we did the show, and mm-hmm. it's hard to work out what the best – like, I'd hate to be in their position because it's hard to work out what the best approach is because if you call it a crypto – if you call it a currency, you yeah. give it legitimacy, right? You're essentially yeah. saying that – um, we are we have allowed and we are still allowing another currency other than our national currency to exist within our borders, which is a big no-no. But if you call it an asset, it's really, really hard to ban assets. Like mm-hmm. by them essentially saying that it's, a, it's an asset, it's a commodity or whatever, however they want to term it, they're basically saying that, you know, it's just something that people hold. It may have some intrinsic worth. Uh, but it's 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 kind of harmless. Like it's just worth some money. It's just something that people have as an asset. You know, like like people have a house and a car. They might have some crypto assets as well. And that that's quite innocent. Like it, it's very hard to then turn around and say, well, these crypto assets are evil. People shouldn't have them. We're going to confiscate them because they're just they're just crypto assets. Like it's not like you've got this clandestine currency that's operating in your country and trying to. Uh, keeping with the royal theme, usurp your authority. Mm, mm. So uh, nothing to see here but pay us tax. <laughs> it's a difficult one, though, man. Like, what? Mm. Wh- how, how do they win in that circumstance? That's a good question. I think just charging <laughs> tax is probably the only. Yeah, one. well, that's it. Yeah, they're, they're winning either way, aren't they? If you can't beat them, tax them. That's right. And then beat them if they don't pay tax. And then tax them after you've beaten them. <laughs> this is great British tradition. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Cup of tea, bickies, and beating the taxpayers. Ah, standard procedure. Just another Tuesday. Um, <laughs> anyway, next piece of news. The Bank of China, they're rolling out blockchain to streamline insurance claims. So this is in line with China's recent formal endorsement of the technology. Uh, and one of the largest state-owned financial institutions has just launched its own blockchain. Yeah, so the bank, the new Bank of China platform aims to increase transparency and efficiency across the nation's insurance industry. The insurance blockchain solution is the product of the bank's insurance management IT department and partnerships with a few big insurance companies in China. 
Now, if you've been following along at home, you know that China is a little bit blockchain obsessed. Mm-hmm. Um, and this this an insurance sector of the of the Chinese market and society is no different. So the idea is to upload customers' policy details to the ledger, distributed amongst the network's participants, and each participant can then access the details quickly as and when they need as part of the claims process. So the platform, according to the domestic news source, uh, Sina, is built using Hyperledger fabric, which is somewhat surprising given the number of both private and public blockchain projects coming out of China. But um, yeah, a recent NASDAQ report compiled evidence from multiple data sources to suggest that the nation was already comfortably leading the globe in blockchain development, even before the government endorsement. Mm, And it seems that the Bank of China has been preparing to onboard users to its insurance blockchain solution for some time already. The institution reportedly accumulated more than 4 million policies by September. So, um, you know... China absolutely love the fact that we can immutably put every detail down (laughs) and no worries, we will follow in lockstep as we always do. I swear we talked about this in one of our first episodes, how we we talked about the fact that, and back then China wasn't doing that much in blockchain, but I, I swear we talked about the fact that like we were raving about it, you know, we were really, really stoked and talking about all the different projects and then we, we we hit a somber point, I'm sure, somewhere and said this could also be used to yeah. track everyone's movements everywhere and there's complete permanence and there's no way of like erasing your past or doing over. Like it's just all there. Mm. I feel like we should probably pay for some service to generate a transcript for each of our previous episodes because mm. – I'd love to find out which episode that was. Yeah, that, mm. that, you, you actually make a very sombre point there. Mm. Mm. But less of a sombre point, Samsung, they vowed to make dApps compatible with mobile devices. What are dApps, by the way? So dApps are distributed applications. So they've kind of come out of the um, or decentralised applications, actually. No, they're not distributed. They're, so dApps are decentralised applications, and that's kind of come out of the Ethereum world where people were saying, well, we've got this great uh, public ledger, which we can run smart contracts on. It tracks state, like it's a state chain. Um, so let's build applications on top of it because we've got like a Turing complete programming language. And so people started building applications through these smart contracts that essentially dealt with the money mm-hmm. and then did things with that money using code. Mm-hmm. And so anyone that builds an application on top of Ethereum, they whack a little D in front of it and then it becomes a decentralized application. Uh-huh. Yeah. Although right. it is centralized on the blockchain. So. Yeah. Wait, so, so what are Samsung doing here? So they're set to announce at their Samsung Developer Conference 2019 Mm. a comprehensive solution that aims to help developers build mobile-compatible decentralized applications or dApps. That's a little random. But, uh, yeah, Samsung uh, seems to have understood the benefits the decentralization and transparency can bring into a wide range of industries, including finance, uh, real estate, and medicine. And that could be the main reason why they've been capitalizing on the potential of blockchain tech by by building different services that tackled some of the biggest obstacles in the industry. Now, at the beginning of the year, the largest smartphone manufacturer in the world by market share launched the Samsung blockchain wallet app as its first crypto-friendly smartphone, as well as the first crypto-friendly smartphone, the Galaxy S10. 
Now, the former allowed users to transact in cryptocurrencies, while the latter provided a secure storage system for private keys through the Samsung blockchain key store. For the first time, users were able to treat their phones like cloud wallets, having the additional protection of Samsung Knox and T, whatever those things are. So now they're doubling down and they want to expand their blockchain and cryptocurrency services further. They're planning to allow developers to build these applications, so blockchain-based applications, with their what they're calling the Samsung Blockchain Platform SDK. Software Developer Kit. Very exciting. And mm. So I guess backtracking a bit, one of the most... One of the most important issues that is facing the industry is that the most of the top dApps are web-based and can only be accessed through a desktop or a laptop. But with the SDK, Samsung wants to com- tackle the complexity and security issues which make, which will make it easier for developers to create mobile-compatible dApps. And these... Um, I if I lost my spot... Uh, so the platform will also allow legacy apps to incorporate blockchain features to put them at the forefront, they say, of innovation. So, yeah, people are saying, well, I say people, uh, Cryptoslate.com are saying this is the most significant effort to push blockchain tech further and blah, 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 availability, blah, 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 adoption, blah, 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 whatever. But essentially, all it's saying is just let's make it more usable. Yeah. Yeah, it's basically just you can develop on our SDK now. I guess it's, you know, at the end of the day, most of us are sitting on our phones just, you know, just swiping through things mindlessly or mindfully, you know, depending on what you're doing. Um, but, yeah, I mean, this this just kind of means that you can decentralizedly swipe through things. Mm. Game changing, game changing, absolute game, game changing. Ah, oh, innovative. Ah, oh, synergies. Yes. Everyone's, you're all experiencing synergies. Well done, each and every one of you. I love these synergies. Yes. Um, oh, mate, I'm so glad that we are um, we are recording locally because, like, I don't know if it's my internet or your internet, but somewhere along the line, things are getting fuzzy. That would be my internet, my good okay. friend. Oh, I love this next one. I love that you put this in here. This is great. (laughs) (laughs) So next bit of news, a California brewery has printed the words, Epstein didn't kill himself on the bottom of its cans. The Epstein didn't kill himself meme has reached an entirely new unprecedented level as it's officially crossed the line from internet meme into physical reality via the underside of a beer can. This is according to reporting from Zero Hedge. Now, (laughs) <laughs> Maybe aptly named the Tactical Ops Brewing in Fesno. I think I think we know that Tactical Ops will probably be visiting them soon after this. Um, <laughs> they're printing uh, the message Epstein didn't kill himself on the bottom of beer cans, according to local Fox affiliate KNPH. And that's that entire story, really. So, um, mm. yeah, they, they put out a little Facebook post that just said... Um, Somebody has got us all suicided. Uh, lie and say nice things at our funerals. They posted on Facebook. So uh, yeah, I, I don't know, really know what they're talking about. I mean, this this whole this whole thing's just a little bit confusing to me. Look, he died in a maximum security prison, um, and that's because he committed suicide while under suicide watch. So, uh, mm. well, no, he was taken off suicide watch, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. Ah, what a shame! What a travesty! 
Anyway, surprise, surprise. <laughs> let's move on. I just love that the meme's still going, man. It's one of the oh, few ironic memes that's actually like. I love just seeing those memes where it's just like how to make soup. Step one, put garlic in pan. <laughs> Step two, fry the butter. Step three, put your onions in. Step four, Jeffrey Epstein didn't cut himself. And you're just like. All right, and you, you never see it coming. Like, you, like yeah, Reddit. Reddit is the worst for it. Like you're scrolling through stuff, you see something, and like the title's like, "Oh, I'll watch this." Like this is this will be good, and then like halfway through, the, it's just Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself. It's so easy to do. I think you just yeah. take any situation and just slap that in, and it's just great. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, yeah, it's just it's just it's just like it's a little <laughs> bit disappointing that that's the meme that like. That we're using to kind of Trojan horse raise awareness for for that kind of stuff. Like, I wish we could find a meme about Assange. You know, like yeah, yeah, like about someone that probably actually deserves. Anyway, no, we're not going to go into that. Enough of your truth telling. You can uh, go <laughs> back to your hole. Anyway, next piece: Uber Money is the company's latest attempt to expand into financial services. Yeah, and the premise for this is quite simple. It's a debit card for drivers, and it's a credit card for riders. So Uber's creating a new division called Uber Money to handle their growing financial services business. The group will oversee everything from the company's credit and debit card offerings to digital wallets for riders to products used by drivers to get paid in a timely manner, which I think is a pretty big market. Yeah. Yeah, so to start out, Uber drivers will have an improved way to get the money they earn on rides instantly, the company says, because typically the drivers either wait for weekly payments or cash out using a feature called Instant Pay. And now drivers and other freelance workers like Uber Eats couriers will have real-time access to their earnings after every trip through the Uber debit account, the company says. This mobile bank account will mean that Uber's 4 million plus drivers and couriers can get their money instantly after every trip or delivery. Now, drivers in the US and other countries soon can sign up for a no-fee debit card that's linked to an account provided by Green Dot, a financial technology and bank holding company headquartered in Pasadena, California. Uber is also offering drivers who sign up for the debit card cash back on fuel starting at 3% and up to 6% for the highest tier of Uber Pro Oh, drivers. and that would just be the result of a good little partnership with a, you know, a fuel company, wouldn't it? Or a mm, fuel card company. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so they're just going to – that's 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 really smart. They're building an ecosystem, man. Like they're, like all these different they, – they, they've, they've nailed their vertical. Like they've got, you know, ride-sharing down pat. They own that. Like, yes, other companies are trying, but they're all throwing stupid amounts of money at it. Um and now they're just expanding to other ones. You know, they're oh. gradually kind of creeping out the same way Google did, you know, the same way a number of these other companies do. This is really exciting. I mean, yeah, Uber says that the digital wallet will allow drivers to easily track their earning and spending history, manage and move their money, discover new Uber financial products all in one place, uh, brackets. This is probably the time to invest in Uber. Um, there, like, yikes! Their share price took a real rocketing after their. Uh, well, I say rock a real hammering after their IPO. But things like this, I think, they'll bring a bit of confidence to people who've invested in Uber. So, if that was one of you, dear listeners, um, <laughs> you can share the wealth. Feel free. You know, just donate to the furniture somehow. Not that we have any addresses that you can donate to. But yes, we even have a Bitcoin address up. We actually don't. 
Because oh. I don't trust myself to run that. So I would only <laughs> trust you to run the, the FOMO <laughs> Bitcoin account. The company's also relaunching its branded credit card, which was first introduced almost two years ago. And to get customers to sign up, Uber's offering more rewards, including 5% back in Uber Cash from spending across the Uber platforms. So that includes Uber Rides, Uber Eats, and Jumpbox and Scooters. And cardholders will also get rewarded for hailing an Uber Copter from Manhattan to JFK Airport. Now, Uber, like, they're, they're not messing around. I mean, you probably listen to a bunch of podcasts. They're all raving about Uber. But this is genius. Like, the people who are driving the taxis aren't sitting there because they love driving. They're sitting there because they want to earn extra cash and they have a car. Mm. Now, Uber's, you know, they're going to do this whole, you know, staffing for your business if you need extra people to join your business. They're doing this, um, you know, the, the Uber flights, so you're going to end up being able to book a plane to anywhere. If they've got this yeah, Uber logistics stuff. Plane sharing. Yeah, it's just, it's just ridiculous. Oh. Like, all the stuff yeah. they're doing, and this is right in the freaking sweet spot. Like, mm. I, you haven't met a single Uber driver who doesn't want more money and to get paid instantly means that more people will want to become riders because imagine you can just you can just be like oh i just need 20 bucks today yeah so you can jump in a car go and pick someone up take them somewhere else go home and you got 20 bucks wow wow that's what they're doing that's unreal so if you want to go and get yourself a a family feast from kfc you just like you know, start over one side of town, do a couple of Uber rides, get to the KFC on the other side, and you've earned your family feast. You've converted sweat, tears, and your vehicle into wow. a KFC feast. We're wow. not advertising KFC, but KFC is great. Wow. So it's pretty what smart. What a time to be alive. Yeah, it's wild. Mate, no, that's, no, you're right. No, no, that is absolutely wild. Like the, the whole idea of getting cash instantly for that kind of stuff. Like mm-hmm. just think of, the, think of the dopamine hit that people will get after they finish a ride and it's mm-hmm. not just like a, 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 some entry in their, their account that they've got to wait a week for, but like they get a notification from their bank that your money is, or, or from the Uber app, like your money is here and available. It's yeah. probably just been a bank or a financial services institution went up to Uber and said, hey, do you just want us to underwrite any of these rides that you're doing? Mm. And we'll just, we'll sort that ASAP and we'll just t- charge you, you know, one and a half percent or, you know, something stupid. And then yeah. Uber just say yes. And then that's it. Brilliant. <sighs> Love it. Uber is so smart, man. Oh, yeah, they are. They're in just the right place. That's so smart. They're, they're just, then they, they're doing this on demand everything. Like that seems like what they're trying to do. It's just on demand everything. Mm, pretty genius. And speaking of smart, what is this I'm hearing about StarCraft AI? <laughs> so this is something that's a bit close to my heart because I'm a massive StarCraft 2 fan. Um, Google have been working on this DeepMinder AI for years. So the, ba- the, base- the basic premise of it is they want to build an artificial intelligence that can play StarCraft better than the StarCraft pros. Um, now, for those of you that have never watched StarCraft before, it's like it's a 1v1 game generally, so one person versus one person, yeah. and it is just super, super mechanically intensive. So these guys, the, the professionals are performing on average around about three to 400 actions per minute, which wow. means 
Like generally that's about six to seven actions per second Holy. they're performing. Uh, while they're like while they're playing uh, a version of chess, which is like insanely more complicated than chess, um, and they're generally doing it in front of big crowds as well. So it's it's just this pressure cooker of um, super competitive one versus one. Like you don't have a team to rely on; it's just you versus someone else, and may the best strategist slash mechanical skill person win. Now the issue with it is there's so many variables in the game. That it's very hard to build a good AI for it. And this has been a problem for years and years and years. But Google have been developing this deep mind AI and they've been using that for a number of different features, but they've essentially just turned it on to StarCraft 2. And the Alpha Star AI, which is another one, beat some of the world's top players in early 2019. Um, and it's crushing nearly everyone now. And DeepMind says Alpha Star is now the first AI to reach Grandmaster status in StarCraft 2. And just so you know, Grandmaster is the top 200 people in a region. So it's like their tippy tippy top of right. competitive StarCraft 2. Ah, so basically, there's no hope for us. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think we're done. Oh. StarCraft was the last bastion, man. Well, that's it. Um, this is the second last episode of the FAMO show. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Thanks for joining us. Next bit of news, uh, there was a piece in Spectrum about how tech from Australia could prevent California wildfires and PG&E blackouts. So there are fires going on in Australia and California at the moment. Now, in Australia, even where we're living in Brisbane, you can see in the, in the sky every day there's just smoke. And it's pretty crazy because mm. that smoke from fires that are going on hundreds of miles from where we are. But there are some pretty serious fires. Have you heard much about that? Australia's just really dry at the moment, mm. really, really dry. And we're in, we're in one of the, our biggest droughts in 20, 25 years. Mm. Really, really bad conditions and it's the perfect conditions for fires. So there's actually this GIF you can look for, um, which was on Reddit, I think, yesterday. And it actually showed like the satellite view of Australia and you could just see these fires just spring up. And this, this, the smoke was like going all the way out over New Zealand. It's just like this blanket of smoke. Mm. Um, absolutely unreal. The, the fires are huge. There's photos of fire storms up. Um, people have lost houses, all, all sorts of things. So, yeah, oh, yeah. It's, it's not not a good time. A bit of interesting technology news from this is that technology that's been developed to combat Australia's deadly, deadly bushfires because all these power lines that go through the country can actually set off fires – um, the technology that's been developed here could actually slash California's fire risk and reduce the need for public safety power shutoffs. Um, so equipment to slash grid-related fire risk isn't cheap or problem-free, but could be preferable to the most commonly advanced solutions, which are putting lines underground or equipping California with thousands of microgrids to reduce the reliance on big lines. It's an issue because California's main utility, they've they've actually said they're going to put deliberate blackouts to keep their lines from sparking wildfires. Mm. And that could actually be the new normal for millions of customers for the next decade, which is pretty dangerous. But yeah, no, absolutely right. Um, they're talking, you know, some of the options are microgrids or other things, but there's a really bit of interest, like there's a really interesting bit of technology that could actually prevent a lot of this. Now, this has come out of a research and development program funded by the state of Victoria here in Australia. Um, it's prompted by the deadly bushfires that they had down there 
10 years ago. And earlier this year, utilities in Victoria began a massive rollout of this solution, which is power diverters. Now, they're expected to protect all of the substations serving the state's high fire risk areas by 2024. Now, it's not cheap to put these in, but once you do it, you've got a thousand kilometres of network that's suddenly a lot safer. That's according to um, Monash University professor Tony Markson, um, no relation to Karl Marx. Um, he's the former chair <laughs> of the Australian energy market operator, um, Australia's <laughs> power grid regulator, and he's the chairman of Melbourne-based grid equipment developer, IND Technology. So... Obviously, no incentive for him to talk about this. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's no that's <laughs> anyway. Oh, that's no relation to the the bank called ING. Yeah. Just <laughs> just in case you're wondering. <laughs> so the power diverters, which are known as rapid earth fault current limiters or refs ref calls, there was a better acronym there somewhere. Much better. I'm sure they could have. Anyway, uh, they re- react to the surge of current unleashed when a power line strikes the ground or is struck by a tree. Now, when this happens on one of Victoria's 22 kilowatt distribution circuits, the ref call instantly begins collapsing the faulted line's voltage toward 100 volts and can get there in as few as 40 milliseconds. And if it can do it within 85 milliseconds, you won't get fires, he says. So the Refkels exploit a phenomenon discovered in 1914 by German engineer Voldemar Peterson. Uh, that's no relation to St. Peter. Uh, <laughs> who, <laughs> who showed that a charged coil could neutralise the current in a network if the former's magnetic field resonated at the right frequency relative to the latter's electric field. But yeah, our Refkels employ a resonating coil to neutralise all but a few amps of the current in a faulty line and then they use power electronics to squelch the rest. So that's actually really exciting. It just means, mm. remember that I am no expert. But that basically means no fire from power lines. Am I correct? Yeah, like if a power line gets severed or, like, you know, if, it, if lightning hits a, um, a power line or a power pole and it knocks it down and, you know, things start sparking everywhere, as they like to do when, um, when they're severed or fall down, um, that's generally what will start the fires, like in storms and things like that. Whereas in this case, the network would know that it's something's gone wrong and it just cut it off like really, really quick before before it could even spark properly. Yeah, so pretty exciting. A bit of physics there. I had no idea that that was even a thing. But it turns out, yeah, you can actually somehow stop there from being so much of a risk. Next piece of news, the self-driving Uber that killed a woman last year, I believe it was, um, didn't know that jaywalkers existed. So on Tuesday, the National Transportation Safety Board released hundreds of pages of documents related to its investigation into the crash. And according to those documents, the Uber software didn't even know that people could uh, exist outside of crosswalks, let alone um, what it should do if it encountered a jaywalker. Yeah, so the self-driving Uber noticed Hertzberg about 5.6 seconds before the impact, according to the NTSB's investigation. So it had plenty of time to react, but because it didn't expect to see a person in the middle of the road, because, you know, as we know, humans all behave completely rationally and, you know, in, in completely expected norms. Um, it right. just, it, it, it first classified her as a vehicle. <laughs> uh, 
uh, with wheels, and then it changed that classification several times before finally settling on bicycle. And realising that a collision was imminent just 1.2 seconds before impact. So at that point, the vehicle could have slammed on its brakes, but it didn't until about 0.2 seconds before impact. Now, according to the NTSB, that was due to a built-in one-second delay between when the car detects a potential crash and when it does something to avoid it. Yeah, so the goal of that delay is to avoid false positives, but in this case, the extra second might have been enough time for the self-driving Uber or the safety driver behind the wheel to take action to prevent her death. And Wow. If I can recall anything from at the time when this was happening, I'm pretty sure Uber just chucked the um, the the what's it called the safety driver who was sitting behind the wheel. They chucked her under the bus and just said basically she wasn't paying attention. So that's why our self-driving car killed somebody. Wow! So they're they're blaming they're blaming her essentially instead of the fact that they had sorry. Well, honestly, I haven't read anything since it happened, but that was what I took away at the time was just like, oh, it's just the person who should have been the backup for the automatic car didn't do anything. Yeah, right. So it was piloted then. Like It wasn't just running by itself. Yeah, they have a safety driver who can press a brake to override things. So it was basically they were just there to make sure that the car was doing all right. But my assumption is that the car was just doing all right 90% of the time. Mm. So the person behind the wheel, I, I can't remember if... The, yeah, you're the, going to be complacent, like, wouldn't I you? I feel for the person who was actually the safety driver because imagine you're in a car that's just doing the right thing 99% of the time and you've probably been doing this for a fair amount of time so you mm. get pretty bored and you just start swiping through your phone or whatever and then yeah. all of a sudden... Which is kind you, of the goal of these electric cars exactly anyway, so these automated cars, yeah. And it was nighttime as well, so this... The yeah. person just materialises out of nowhere. Yeah. And I mean, the yeah. car probably knew about it, or the car systems knew about it far before she probably would have known about it. Absolutely, because, I mean, the car, you, you see that about, like, Teslas. Like, they can look in 360 degrees all at once. I absolutely yeah. cannot do that, and I can say that under oath in court. Yeah. Oh, we've still got a way to go then, I guess. Although I, I think... There's going to be a lot of changes made to this software after this has happened. So last bit of news, uh, London gets its first official electric black cab in 120 years. Yeah, so while the industry clamours to put electric taxis in the air, London is taking its first real steps towards electrifying its ground-based taxi fleet. Now, the aptly named Dynamo Motor Company has deployed its first all-electric zero-emissions taxi cab. The cab itself is based on Nissan ENV series passenger van and sports an 80 kilowatt, which is 107 horsepower electric motor that produces 187 pound-feet of torque. Power comes from a 40 kilowatt battery pack, which Dynamo says is good enough for 174 miles of range on a single charge. 174 miles may seem like a decent range for an urban electric vehicle, but taxi miles add up pretty quickly. So with 50 kilowatt charging capacity, drivers might not be in a position to recharge, often during working hours. But they acknowledge that the cab's best for those serving densely packed urban areas. Mm. Uh, Interesting piece of news nonetheless. So if you want to go out to Gatwick or... Heathrow, mate, yeah, that, they'll probably say, oh, probably best to take a different cab. 
Wherever you're joining us from, it's a pleasure having you here. Why not drop into our Telegram channel and say hello? That's FOMO.show slash Telegram. Let's wrap this sucker up. So if you know somebody who might enjoy the show, why not share it with them or leave us a review or rating in your podcast podcasting thing. You can find us at FOMO.show. You can jump on our Telegram at FOMO.show slash Telegram. You can follow us on Twitter at the underscore FOMO underscore show. Or you can follow us on YouTube at FOMO.show slash YouTube. That's it for us here at the FOMO Show. Thank you so much for joining us. Subscribe in your podcast of choice or via our YouTube channel. I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And as always, remember, no FOMO. Done, man. There we go. Yeah. That was probably the worst wrap-up I've ever done. <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> you just take out the gaps, man, and it sounds fine. <laughs> take that, listeners. <laughs> Dude, I love that camel ad you put up. That was oh, hilarious. I reckon. Let's just do that as the intro clip. Yeah. Just, just watch with a healthy dose of scepticism, I guess. Well, I think what we've learned from this is you absolutely can polish a turd. <laughs> so, well, they're in... Sorry. Sorry in advance, Joe. Sorry. Um, <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Lovely. Lovely jubbly. Juan. 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 Our newest employee. <laughs> <laughs> It's like it's like next bit of news. <laughs> Your audio screwed up just as I said Epstein didn't kill himself. Weird. Suspicious. <laughs> yeah, so with the emergence of more connected devices and immersive content, we've got a, we've had a parallel of uh, I kept all the blah in here, sorry dude. That's <laughs> okay. Hmm. All right. Well, um, sorry about that. I let that piece of news go through the uh, censorship filter of my own fingers. It's all good, man. And it's just so funny because I've just been like, well, like I told you, this has just been my world the last couple of weeks.